DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. Bowler, good morning. Uh, good morning. I needed that. Bang a gong by T-Rex. <laughs> needed that. Let's get it on. Get it on. Bang a gong. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense, but what the heck? It doesn't. <laughs> you know, the three of us could just sit and write a song, and what, you know, as long as it just got a good beat, that's right. all we need. Yeah. Bowler, yeah. you have been covering the jazz in one form or fashion for three and a half decades. Oh, you thank are, you. You're welcome. <laughs> you were an analyst with Hot Rod Hunley before John Stockton had won enough to have an attitude. That was a long time ago. Thank you. Yes, I was 12. You saw that. I, I, sorry, I left that detail out. You are yes. correct. You were 12. Uh, you are the only junior high student ever to. Okay. Have <laughs> you ever seen the movie Almost Famous? Okay. Oh, yeah. There's Bowler's yeah. Life. That's, That's it. That's my life. That's yeah. it. So you've, you've seen this story plowed over and over again. The hopes are up. The Jazz lose two. How are you supposed to be better than nine and two in eleven games? Now, Jazz fan, listening to this is screaming to the car. You dang well know how DJ beat some of the best teams. We all know they're beating the bottom and the middle of the league, and not the top of the league. Do you think? And you can psychoanalyze Jazz fans. You've been around them as much as anybody. If the Jazz were winning the Phoenix game, but then offsetting it because nobody wins more than nine out of eleven. If they were offsetting that by losing to Orlando or Memphis or whoever else, would Jazz fans feel any differently? Or would we just be yelling and arguing and, and gnashing our teeth over a different loss? No, I think that uh, this is uh, you're, you're gnashing your teeth uh, over teams that you have to beat sooner than later in the West. Uh, to solidify yourself as a true contender, and I think that's what the critics of the Jazz would, are, are barking. I really haven't. I didn't want to check yet this morning because I just, you know, I set up late last night, got home, and just kind of watched a couple of uh, an old Andy Griffith just to kind of make me chuckle <laughs> that I that I went to bed. But you know, the bottom line is you can easily dominate lower level teams like the Jazz have done. Teams that are by far uh, not superior, and also have been ravaged by injury. And that's what the Jazz have been really doing, and not only beating them, but punishing them. So I think as Jazz fans, uh, you know, tell me, they, you know, you kind of get into a mode, uh, PK and DJ, where you think that this is going to be, you know, 25, 35-point wins on a, on, a, on a given night, on any given night, and the fact that the three ball will be record-setting. And so there's a bit of that spoiled, you know, mentality, and I get it. But then you run up against two teams of late who have played just tremendous defense. I mean, they pressure the three-point line. Uh, They do not let you escape. They do not let you pass the ball in the perimeter. And they hug you on the hip 24-7. And that's just the case. It is. Right now, Dallas is hot. They're playing with great confidence. They're, you know, and the Jazz had to hit the road for these two games. Tonight will be another test against uh, against Portland, who, by the way, got about a two-hour-plus practice in at Vivint Arena yesterday afternoon and that we're, we're, are sitting here waiting to play the Jazz, who got in very late last night. So uh, a, a stat that no one likes to hear, but the last two games, uh, 23 of 88 from three. 
and that's 26%. Also, offensive rebounds, you can't, I, you know, teams are just, last night it was just like off the rim again, off the rim again. And the Jazz, you know, have got to just find a way. Aiton was uh, pretty impactful last night. And just second chance points and those fast break points, PK2, is the, there's, there's three things that got me last night. Fast break points off of those defensive rebounds. Sometimes, again, the Jazz don't turn and run. And other teams know that if they get out and run downhill, they can beat the Jazz to the rim. And that's what we saw a lot of last night. So we're talking about what I considered vulnerabilities, not necessarily weaknesses because I haven't seen enough because after 51 games, they still have the best record in the conference. So you can't really say it's a major weakness, but a vulnerability. And you look at those rebounding numbers, and they really jump off the page at you as you look at the box score. And as you're watching the game, particularly that one where Aiton, it seemed like by himself, gave the Suns three opportunities to score, and and they did. So my thought for you is how much of a vulnerability is rebounding going to be for the Jazz? Well, you know, they have to fix it. But I tell you what, I really, Matt and I were talking after the game. I mean, basically, Phoenix is a pretty good-sized ball club. I mean, just to take away Chris Paul at one. you know, look, Devin Booker is bigger than Donovan. Uh, Aiton is just an inch or so smaller than Gobert. But then you go Bridges at six seven, and, you know, Jay Crowder is really a guy that found a home with the Jazz for those two years and played that you know, roughneck type of defense, too, and was very emotional when he played on the floor. Uh, You know, Cam Johnson, Torrey Craig, they're they're long guys off the bench. And I think that was the biggest issue last night is the Jazz actually had trouble with length uh, because, again, they could put a hand in the passing lane and just disrupt and crowd. And I still think it's got to be something the Jazz have got to figure out. Uh, But, again, uh, when you're not as big as your opponent, it, you even have to work harder. Blockouts. And last night, you know, there were several times that, you know, Aiton just kind of was over the top of guys and just picking off rebounds. And that's that one series I remember PK very well to the left side, the my screen, the jumbotron that was just like, bang, there it is again, there it is again. The Jazz looked like they were in position, by the way. But just, I see more teams, too, tipping the ball. Um, you know, making the second effort just to keep the ball alive and, and, and seeing if they can't tip it to a teammate. And last night, Phoenix was really good at that. And, uh, you know, it's it's frustrating because the Jazz did still have looks from three. They had good looks in Dallas. They had looks last night. Simple. If you make them, you're a hero. If you don't, then you label you get labeled as struggling. And in all reality, Jordan Clarkson is at the moment, and the same goes for Mike Conley all of a sudden. At least last night, he had a great game in Dallas. But when you look at one of eight from Bogey and one of seven from Mike and three of nine from Clarkson, and uh, Royce O'Neal uh, really can't give you much right now except on the defensive end. He's working his tail off on the defensive side. Offensive performance is tough to come by, but... Um, you know, it's it's the highs and lows of a season, but it's that time of year too, where people now are beginning to focus in more and more on who you're beating, and how you're doing it or not doing it, and that's why again tonight is another big game coming off the road against the Blazers, who you know are well rested and they practiced 
and they probably know how they want to defend, obviously, the Utah Jazz. And Utah, by the way, the pressure is also a little bit on. Haven't lost a ball game in 2021 at home. It's April. Unbelievable. They're due. Nobody wants to hear that, but they're yep. due. So the problem with the regular season that doesn't replicate the playoffs, unless you get into what they're doing this year with the you know two games in three days in the against the same team in the same city, then you get it a little bit. But in the playoffs, something goes wrong, and then you've got to adjust. And so if this were a playoff series, we could see how the ju- the Jazz would adjust in a rebounding. Instead, we get another regular season game, and one team's rested and one team's not, which isn't going to happen in the playoffs, except possibly in game one if you went seven in the previous series and they were done in four or five or whatever. So it, it doesn't really give us the read people want. And we're also seeing these teams get up for the Jazz. I mean, how else do you explain oh. Dallas – beating the Jazz and being brilliant and then losing to the Rockets and sucking so completely and knowing they are <laughs> sucking so completely yeah. that Luka Doncic is beating up the bench. You know, yeah. punch the chair cushion and throw the water bottle on the ground because he knows this isn't a C-minus effort. This is yeah. an F, yeah. right? So, yeah, well, absolutely. Well, you know, again, you make a great point, is that the Jazz, to be champions, to be respected at the highest of levels is – knowing now that you are targeted and you have to get used to that on a nightly basis. I mean, you can ask Carl and John about that. You can ask LeBron about it. Uh, Steph Curry in the day of, of the great warrior teams and what bird and magic, you know, did and Michael Jordan had to perform at the highest of levels on every given night because that was what it was expected. So the next step, if you are, a high-level team, but be, to, to be a title team, man, you have to take hits and recover on a nightly basis. And again, maybe that's part of this this process that continues for this franchise. Look, there's, this is a good team, and there's all-stars for a reason. Uh, but yet, when you build your offensive around two things, rim, and Gobert, and also the three-point shot, if it goes away on a given night, it can be trouble. And that's what's happened against Dallas and uh, and last night in Phoenix. How do you fix it? Do you go back inside? I do look at one, one factor last night that told me that the Jazz actually knew they were struggling, and they went, and Bogey especially, <clears throat> decided to become a more physical inside player, PK. And look, they got 62 points in the paint. That's a big-time number. Uh, but again, if you can't hit a three to complement that, then you you know have trouble. You talked to DJ about you know making those changes. I thought the Jazz went into the locker room and came back out with a, a a pretty good game plan. At least they made some adjustments and they battled and fought in that big three to to send the game into overtime. But man, it's tough every night playing uphill. And you know we heard that some last year uh, about just not competing or not being able to hit shots, which allows you or doesn't allow you to, to play even. So you're always running uphill to try to get back into a ball game. And that happened quite a bit last night. But yeah, I give credit to the Jazz. I mean, they, they, I thought they played hard. Second half, entertaining. Yeah, they just couldn't get it done in overtime. So this whole theory of live by the three, die by the three, I think it's somewhat oversimplistic because they they, they – 
if losing equals dying, uh, I guess you got me there. But at the same time, they weren't hitting from the threes, 25% or whatever it was. And they still managed to push the game into overtime. So if we take a step back, you, you push a game into overtime against a team that has the second-best record in the conference. So they're obviously very good, too. And I'm wondering, if we're getting worked up about live by, die by, whereas you know they lose an OT – and they didn't shoot the three. So the point I'm making is that there's other ways to compete and potentially win. And do the Jazz have that ability knowing that there's going to be times when they're not going to hit the three, but there's mm-hmm. also times when they are going to hit the three. Yeah. No, I think that was, you know, the, the 62 points in the paint kind of uh, gave me some a realization last night that uh, Boyan realizing that he's a strong player, PK, and it can actually score – and he did on this road trip. I thought he took his game inside and, and powered in and played well. Rudy hasn't missed a shot, did not miss a shot on this road trip. He was 13 of 13 from the floor. Um, you know, it's uh, the other part of this, too, is Joe Ingles is a pretty big part of, of what they do and their success. And he had two shots in Dallas and took four last night. Now, I don't know if he starts tonight. That hasn't been revealed yet on a back-to-back with Mike Conley but I still believe you know Joe's an integral part and it's with with the team as it is and Clarkson who is a high volume shooter it's tougher for Joe to get those shots when he's you know jumping off the bench some nights yes but sometimes no and I think Joe plays a big part of the Jazz success as well and only to get six shots in the last two games and he sometimes gets six shots in a quarter on given nights. But, you know, they'll figure it out. I, I, you know, look, I know it's, you know, people get panicky because there's a lot of hype and a lot of expectations, but PK still a lot of basketball to be played. Um, you know, what are we, 50 games in, 51? So, you know, there's 21 left, and there's a lot of basketball, and there's some tests that are coming again in L.A., Later on next week, you know, with a couple of games with the Lakers. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Let's see if the two stars play. Yeah, true. And if they're on minutes restrictions when they do play. Right. Uh, Okay. So, I mean, Kevin Durant came back and played. What was was 19 minutes? He played 19 minutes. He's five for five. Yeah. 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 17 points in 19 minutes. Uh, So, two, we got to go, Boulder, but two things touched on here. One, we got to dig a little deeper than the missed threes. The Jazz changed the way they played offensively and the way they attacked in the third quarter. So the question is, are they going to be able to solve problems faster? Can you make those adjustments in a timeout or just on the fly? we got a high yeah. IQ basketball team here. Make those adjustments on the fly in the second quarter. Learn your lessons in the first quarter. The three isn't going. That's your priority. Go with it. But it doesn't work. But if they adjust in the second quarter and have a 38-point second quarter, we might be talking about a win instead of you know giving the Suns twelve more minutes to control the game. Yeah, so that's point. one thing. And the other thing I wonder, and this is where Quinn's got to work his magic and relationships and how you tell a guy. PK was hitting on this a little bit earlier. How you tell a guy? You can't tell Clarkson not to shoot. Okay, he's in a cold slump. But if you tell him stop shooting, it's going to get in his head. He's going to do what Bogey did late in the game and hesitate on a three that it should have been catch and shoot. And then right. you hesitate and you're out of rhythm and you miss it. You made the shot more difficult. You did it. The, the defense didn't. But I think with Clarkson, the thing—if I could have him grasp one thing—trust your teammates. If you give the ball up with 18 or 16 on the shot clock, 
you'll get it back. Yeah, that's a great point. And so you're, you'll still get the shots, but the whole defense is focused on you. Move the ball, loosen the defense up, and then attack it. Trust your teammates, you'll get the ball back. I'm not sure he's all in on that concept right now. Yeah. Uh, to your point, 14 assists last night on 46 uh, field goals that were made. The Jazz are in the 20s on a good night uh, in mid to mid mid 20s. And so, yeah, yeah. You know, the blender, as everyone likes to call it, has been kind of uh, been put on a, you know, it's, it's spinning a bit. So, um, uh, all good points. All good points. And I, I guarantee you, discussed on the, on the flight back with Quinn and his staff. All right, Bowler, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Talk soon. All right. Bob Casper has been contacted. All is well. We will check in with him next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Number one. Because your number one preset. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. This Uinta Golf Masters update with Bob Casper is brought to you by Mountain Land Supply, Zion's Bank, Black Desert Resort, and get some guns and ammo. Now, here's Real Golf Radio's Bob Casper. Time to welcome in Bob Casper to talk Masters and Bob as we watch some of the early stuff. Boy, do I have questions for you. Are you ready? You do. I do. Number one. How come at the most beautiful, most beautiful park on the PGA Tour, I'm looking at brown grass on the greens? What? And also, how is that impacting the putting? Well, um, as we've talked about all so far during the week, all the players say that the greens are the firmest and the fastest, the most fiery that they've seen them um, early in the week. So, um this is just a continuation of that. Uh, the greens are firm. The greens are quick. And what they do in a major championship or at Augusta when they want those greens to be really fast and firm is they kind of put them on the edge and they, um, they stress them out a little bit. And that's what you're seeing on the screens um, in the broadcast is that they're a little brown right now and they're a little stressed out. Um, and they'll keep the moisture in them a little bit um, each day. But, you know, later on in the week, we're looking for some some thunderstorms and some rain. So I think what they're trying to do is set the golf course so scores are um, are not too low, you know, with only two under leading right now um, through, you know, the, the morning wave so far that has teed off. Um, it They're just trying to keep – things under check and make this golf course play firm and fast like they like they normally do in an April. So when you say April, I think that that highlights April being the difference this year. Traditionally, that's what it is versus November, what it was last year. And Dustin Johnson set records last year. So is it a yeah. matter of just the fact that is it a different time of year 
that's not going to allow those records to be set? So, PK, what what happened in, in November is this golf course, they shut it down um, at the end of May. Then they open it back up in October. So in from August to October, what they do is they overseed the golf course and oversee it in overseed it in the rye grass, the beautiful green grass that you see right now. Underneath that, it's it, it's kind of it's a Bermuda grass. Um, so when that gets overseeded, they have to take care of it because that is basically the grass that they're going to be using throughout the season and in the April Masters, which is the Masters right now. But last year they had to play it in November. So the golf course played softer because they have to, they have to protect that grass, allow it to grow, um, give it plenty of water. The golf course played softer, the greens played softer, and that's why, you shot, that's why we saw the scores um, predominantly um, in that Masters uh, shooting 20 under par. Now we have seen you know, 17 and 18 under par two or three times, four times maybe um, in April. But in those years, there there was moisture also. There was some rain, that kind of thing, which softened up the golf course a little bit. But they're not they're not in the in the first couple days of the tournament. They're expecting to keep this this golf course firm and fast, and then see what happens with uh, with the weather as the weekend comes around. So as the tournament starts, PK and I have the uh, screen on, and we're seeing all these guys on the range, and they're, they're guys on the range, you know, yeah. a couple hours. I mean, yeah. you know, you're the, the weekend force them. You know, amateurs have to work, and you can't go to the golf course two hours before you play a four-hour round or whatever. Right. You don't have that kind of time. I'm curious how much are these guys really working on something? How much are they just trying to get comfortable and get in a mindset, and how much are they really – grinding, fine-tuning something before they go out on the course? What are they doing out well, there? Well, I don't think they're really, you know, if if your your game is where it needs to be, um, you're just trying to, um, especially if you're playing in the afternoon. And, you know, I was watching Justin Thomas, Tony Fino, they're playing in the, you know, the second to the last group. Um, you come to the golf course, you know, you have some breakfast, you um, you go out, you putt a little bit, um, you go hit some wedges, you, you might come back and putt a little bit more, um, just to kind of get a feel and kind of get into all the stuff. Then you go back and in, about an hour before starting time, you really start to dial in and hit shots on the range, hit drivers, um, get warmed up for, for your round. And then you go back and putt a little bit and then you go to the first tee. So guys are just trying to get into the flow of things. If you're really working on something on a Thursday morning that is bugging you, you're you're in a world of hurt right now because chances are you you aren't going to find it out on the golf course and you're not going to find it in your warm up practice time. So I think I think you know most of the guys have have worked out this morning. Most of the guys are trying to get into the flow of things, and um, I and I I think you know predominantly it's just um, you know being active. And, and trying to uh, trying to get the right mindset so that you're ready to go when you hit the first tee. Do you think it's harder to win the Masters or defend winning and try to win a second time? Um, it's, I, I think it's definitely harder probably to win the Masters for the first time. Um, as far as like DJ or 
any of the other guys that have won the Masters and then tried to defend the next year. I think that's extremely difficult as well. I mean, there's only three guys that have done it, Jack and and Nick Faldo and Tiger, uh, that have defended and won the the, the next year. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of both, but, but definitely to win the Masters um, and, and make it your get – it, get it as your first major um, or – you know, win it for the first time, I think that's definitely harder. All right, so we're watching stuff that's catching our eyes. You've got a trained eye. Have you seen anything this morning that's caught your attention? Um, I, you know, it's it's interesting. I see there's, you know, there's there's a couple things that I see. Patrick Reed got off to a good start. Uh, John Rahm got off to a good start. They're both one under par. Sander Shoffley's one under par. Webb Simpson's one under par. Um, Xander's finished second here. Webb Simpson's finished top five here. Ron's finished top ten, top five. Patrick Reed's won. Um, the people up above them, Matsuyama, Answer, Kevin Kisner. Um, Kisner is local from the area. K- Kisner lives um, right uh, in South Carolina, just up the road, 30 minutes away. Um, so he's probably played that golf course a bunch of times. But we haven't seen, like, the headliners really – take off or anything. I, I, I just think that as far as the golf course is concerned and how it's set up right now and what you're seeing, you know, pointing out the, the greens turning a little bit brown, um, I think they're expecting some some slight wind this afternoon, which could make things a little bit more difficult. I, I don't see anybody shooting lower than 68 today. Um, golf course is just playing um, difficult right now. Would you rather be on Sunday in the lead or maybe be two or three strokes behind when you wake up? Uh, definitely in the lead. I mean, the interesting thing is, um, you know, my dad won in 1970. Um, in 1969, he had a three-shot lead going in the final round, and he had and he played a bad round. He shot a couple over par and, and lost by a shot to George Archer. You know, all he needed to do was traditionally, you know, he, he scores really, really well when, he, when he's leading. But um, uh, and then the next year he was in the leading one. So uh, I think most of the guys would would like to be in the lead and have guys come come after him and catch him. Um, you know, Tiger, for the first time ever, ever at the Masters in his five wins, came from behind to win um, a major championship, um, and it was at the Masters for his for his fifth one. So um, you know, I just I, I think most of the guys would like to be in the lead. Um, and um, I, I don't think guys like to be chasing, but that's the cool thing about Augusta National is that once you get done with that front nine and you go to the back nine, there's scoring opportunities back there to make birdies and, and make some eagles, and, and that's what makes it so great is guys can chase you down on the back nine. That's the best part of that course, right? There's so many oh, yeah. There's so many holes on that course where you can stand on the tee and know I could make birdie and I could make bogey. And so the two-shot yeah. swings – and so the tournament's so unpredictable, it's so much fun to watch. Because yeah. there, there are a lot of courses that host majors that don't have that. It's a it's no. par bogey yeah. or it's birdie or par. But that, yeah. you know, that two-shot swing is, is awesome. It's what makes this tournament special. All right, now yeah, on the, the list risk, of things the that only— reward. Yeah. DJ, the risk-reward. Yep, right. Risk-reward on the golf course, yeah. So now on the list of things that only Dumb and Dumber would talk about, but they fascinate PK and I because there's no okay. amount of minutiae that wouldn't get to us. You see a few guys warming up, and they got the earbuds in or whatever, and you're thinking, oh, they're listening to music. And PK's like, well, 
it's funny because PK was like, well, go- golf is primarily white Republican sport. It's probably overwhelming country. But the guy I was looking at was Patrick Reed. And the first thing I thought is, he's the one guy on tour who'd be listening to metal. Are guys really listening to music? PK's like, you know, it could just be like some kind of soft instrumental jazz just to block everything <laughs> out so they focus on whatever they focus on. And the music doesn't really matter. It's just more about blocking everything else out. You ever talk yeah. to guys about this music and their routines and their warm-ups? Maybe they're listening to, you know, positivity self-help tapes, although I think that would be like working, working hard on your game. Like, uh-oh, you're in trouble. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, I think most of the guys are listening to music, and I think most of the guys are listening to anything that is going to get them fired up and get them pumped up, in my opinion. Um, and so, I mean, it could be metal, it could be whatever. I, I think most of the guys are doing that. The other thing that they're doing is they're checking their, you know, you, you'll see that little box, that little... Um, what is it, track man or flight scope, they're checking their distances, how the ball's flying that day um, with certain clubs, that kind of thing, because it, it tells it tells the guys, um, you know, how far. And, that, and that's a, a, a thing that they use um, on, a, on a daily basis when they practice so that they can dial in their distances with their clubs and all that kind of thing and really figure out what's happening with temperature, uh, with humidity, um, with all that kind of thing to, to see how they're flying it that day. Because, you know, one day differs from, from one to the next. You know, uh, temperatures today are supposed to get up to around mid-80s um, back there, so the ball's going to be flying a little bit further. Um, you know, maybe yesterday was high of 75, and it's 10 degrees uh, cooler. So they can check on the range with that track man or flight scope or whatever to see how, how far, far the ball is actually flying that day so that they can be dialed in once they get on the golf course. There's, there's some pretty cool things that go on with technology. Well, I wish both of you guys luck and see who's finishing second. Well, I guess we'll see, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, by second, of course, I mean actually fourth total because the three guys I picked are going to finish one, two, three. You would be, oh, you would be. You got a trifecta un- going, huh? That'd be unbearable yeah. if that happened. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it would be unbearable. But you know what? It's highly unlikely and probably impossible. Oh, it's just even. It's Monday's going to be so sweet. <laughs> oh, you think? <laughs> The truth is that PGA Tour, when you get the top guys together, you know there's 20 to 25 guys who can win, and we only draft nine, and then Tony is held as our 10th group guy. So the odds are we didn't pick the winner, which is how it worked out, what, two times out of three last year. Yeah, Yeah, but I've overcome the odds many times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. As you were saying, you know, these are the best players in the world. There's only 88 guys playing this week. Um and anyone can win on any given week um, on the PGA Tour. But when you're talking about a major, it, it it's, um, sifts some guys out, and the guys that, that traditionally do the best are the guys that have contended in majors or have won majors before, and you'll see that happen throughout the week. But Colin Morikawa tripped us all up. He did? We didn't see him coming at the, at Harding, at the PGA? At Harding Park at the PGA, yeah. You know, and but that was a perfect place for him to win a major championship because he went to school mm. at Cal and he played that golf course all the time. So that was that was a perfect place for him um, to be able to win a major championship. Yep. 
All right, Bob, we appreciate it. Thanks for hopping on. We'll talk All to right, you. Guys. We'll hear you guys Saturday morning. You and uh, you and BT, Brian Taylor, Saturday morning here on The Zone. Yep. Take care. All right. DJ and PK, your feedback coming up. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Everybody needs to lighten up on the Jazz's defensive rebounding. The Suns were throwing up all kinds of bad shots because the Jazz's defense was awesome. And they were getting so many lucky bounces off those bricks they were chucking. So go Jazz. There are a lot of Jazz fans that need to remember that a shooting slump is a lot better than an injury bug. So just chill. The Jazz will get better. Chill, PK. I don't want to chill. I chilled all winter. I want to be warm now. Oh, what is it going to be, 60 today? It's warm enough. It's where the Jazz are right now, right? They're warm enough? They're not cold. They're not hot. People want answers. They got high hopes. They want W's. They want a lock. They want to know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they'll get a fair amount of W's going down the stretch and and put themselves in a good position to be ready to go when the postseason hits. I, I think I like a little stumble right now when you'll step back. You don't want it to be that easy and take it for granted, and you certainly don't want them to peak now. You also don't want them to be, okay, this is the start of the downslide that continues into the postseason, so there's any number of ways that you can view it. But a little problem, a little adversity right now, I don't think that's that big of a deal as long as you come out of it, get yourself ready to go mentally, be mentally tougher as the postseason approaches, get some tests here, and give yourself more of an edge. Scorb Daddy says, I feel Joe needs to start in place of Royce. He does much better when he starts, maybe getting off to a better start. Also, Buckets ain't getting many recently. He seems reluctant to shoot like last night on open shots. Can't have that. Q has his plan, but maybe a little tweak. See, I think a little tweak would be more changing rotation and the distribution of minutes. You know, who starts? Very few NBA games are won or lost in the first six minutes. Last night certainly wasn't. Uh, so a tweak to the rotation seems to me far more likely than a change to the starting I'm lineup. I'm not really necessarily interested in who starts, but I want, and whatever minutes Joe gets, I want him to be more active. When you have that prolific of a shooter and he's only taken four shots, he's not going to have the impact that he can have. It's simple as that. I don't really see how you can argue. Joe Ingles has proven himself to be an excellent, way above average shooter. So you've got this great weapon. And in the last two games, four shots, Craig Bojack just said it, he hasn't taken enough shots. I don't think that you can really argue. I'm a simple mind here, and I don't understand basketball to the level of these great basketball minds, and I know there's stats and everything. Whatever I say, there's a stat to prove it wrong. Go ahead and prove it wrong. All I know is he has proven to be one of the best three-point shooters in the league, and he's not having enough FGAs. The stats actually back you up. They don't prove you wrong. During the ESPN broadcast, flipping back and forth, I watched a little of the local and a little of the national, trying to get the flavor of both. And when it happened to me on ESPN, they put up a stat about he's the leading league in shooting in a, in a shooting efficiency because you got to weight effectiveness. Yeah. Thank you. They they got to weight the three point shots, and he's so right. good there. He's number one in the league. And so you would think that the dominant emotion from the opposing coach when he looks at a box score afterwards would be like. 
Whew, glad that guy didn't take more shots. Exactly. He's yes. the most effective guy. Like, well, he isn't going to score twenty on us if he takes two or four shots. I don't. I don't need Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles to have the same amount of shots. I, I'm sorry, I don't. And I know we love these guys, and they're hard nosed, and they play their hearts out, and yada yada yada. I want Joe taking more shots than he's taking, and I certainly want him taking more shots than Royce O'Neal is taking. Here's the thing for Bogey and for O'Neal. And for um, Ingles. Joe's got the rep, and they're not leaving him. So what the Jazz have to choose now is, and this is why Royce takes so many open shots, because I don't view him as a guy who launches, a selfish guy, a gunner, whatever you want to throw on him. What it comes down to is they're leaving him because they fear him the least. I mean, they can read the stats, and they know that he could crush him in any one game. And he could, because he's good enough to do that. But right now, he's not shooting it well, and they're leaving him and taking their chance, and they're not leaving Joe. And the Jazz are largely, not completely, certainly not in the case of Mitchell and Clarkson, but they are largely guided by the principle of who is open. The two guys who will take contested shots and force it and who take the tough shots at the end of the clock against pressure are Clarkson and Mitchell. So those rules don't completely apply to them. They do partially, but not completely. Right. For these other guys, who's open? They're not leaving Joe. He's not open. He's either A, not shooting, or B, sometimes not even getting the ball. There are possessions he doesn't touch it. Meanwhile, Royce O'Neal is coming open, and so you're the open guy. you take, got to take the shot, and he's missing it. Now, the thing what we've seen with Bogey is he's been open. He's been reluctant to take it, and it really bit him late in the game when he passed up a three he needed to take in rhythm, and he didn't, and he hesitated and hitched, and he was out of rhythm, and he missed it. But he's been great at using his size and strength and getting into the paint and either going by people or scoring over him. Well, he was one of eight from three last night, which, man, you read that number and you flinch. He was seven of nine on two-pointers. That is, that is excellent. Yeah. And so he ends up with a 20-point game on eight of 17 shooting. But the one of eight, you're like, man, if he's three of eight, which he's absolutely capable of doing, that's 37%. Yes. We win. <laughs> you get a W, you put it on the chalkboard down in your little man cave, you flex into the mirror, and then you go upstairs and say hi to honey. My, wa- my sister texted me, sleep well tonight. And I said, well, I can't. We lost. <laughs> she's, a, she's a Suns fan. Sort of a Johnny-come-lately. Not a Johnny-come-lately, but... Uh, drifted out when they sucked, and now that they're good, she's back. I've been a Suns fan for a long time, but not a Johnny Fairweather? Fair you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that when you get to a decade. Like, you got to yeah, stick yeah, with I, them I through you. the ups and downs. Yeah. And, like, one bad year, let's not be throwing them overboard because when everybody has a bad year. Everybody has years. injuries. A decade, yeah. that, you're just yeah. mismanaged at that point. Like, you're heaping. I mean, you recounted them yesterday, PK. The number of bad draft decisions they made. Top ten picks. No oh, else, yeah. yeah, just coming up. Not even getting rotation, guys. Just nothing. You know, so I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize her if your team's down for. I'm decade, not criticizing her either. No, yeah, I'm this just, is, I was pointing it out, and I probably would be if you're gonna suck for that long. Right. Well, yeah. Screw you. <laughs> yeah. I, especially when the system of all the systems that's set up to allow you to get better, it's the NBA probably has the best. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And your time's valuable, and your money. So whether you're a season ticket holder or you're watching games, that's a lot of time to invest in a team that you know is just cranking out one twenty-two and sixty season after another. 
which yeah. is literally what the Suns were doing for the last four years. Well, right. not last year, but the four years prior to that. Mm-hmm. It started to turn last year, and it really turned this year. All right, we're out of time. Hans and Scotty will pick it up from here, and we will talk to you tomorrow from 6 to 10. Uh, Joe Ingles is a probable tomorrow. David Locke will be here tomorrow, and we'll have more on the Masters. See you tomorrow morning right here on The Zone.